People sometimes call Australia the lucky country. I'm not sure the origins of that, but it says Aussies feel like we've got the good deal when it comes to fortune. We're generally, as a nation, pretty happy-go-lucky. We say, g'day, don't we? We assume when we say that, that the day's going good. Even in times of adversity, we say, she'll be right, mate. So it may come as some surprise that last year, the Lowy Institute surveyed Australians, and the finding of their survey is that Australians are less optimistic today, we have less hope for the future than in previous surveys. We're anxious about the future of the economy. We're troubled with the way that the international scene is going. We're concerned about the prospects for our environment. That survey you probably weren't asked to answer, but I wonder if that's something you resonate as well. What do you think about the way things are going? Um, Kelly, I reckon if you open a few of those back doors, that magpie might make its way out, or butcher bird or whatever it is. Thanks, Kelly. Um, Hopefully things go well for that bird. I wonder how though you think things are going, uh, not just in the world but in your life as well. Are things looking up for you? Do you have hope? Uh, today we're starting a new sermon series in 1 Peter. Uh, 1 Peter is a letter written to Christians who have every reason to give up hope. But it's written to give them and us reason for hope. Uh, 1 Peter was written by a bloke called Peter. Uh, This is the same Peter who used to be a fisherman. One day he was found by Jesus and Jesus called him to stop catching fish and start fishing for people. Peter followed Jesus for three years. He saw the miracles. He heard Jesus teach. He's the bloke who had a habit of speaking first and thinking later. He's the disciple who, when the chips were down, pulled out his sword and then three times he denied knowing Jesus. But denying Jesus wasn't the end of the story. After Jesus rose from the dead, Peter became an apostle, sent by Jesus to tell the world that Jesus is risen and reigning. That's what it means to be an apostle. And you can see this at the start of verse 1. So if you've got your Bible open there, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So Peter's writing this letter and he's writing it to Christians living in what is now Turkey. Now, when you get a letter or an email, oh, sorry, when you write one, you normally write the name of the person you're writing to. You start, hi Fran or hi Bob, but not Peter. He says who he's writing to, but it's not individual names. It's a group of churches, not individuals. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to describe who these people are, who they really are, who they are because of the gospel of Jesus. So have a listen as verse 1 continues. To God's elect. Exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. So those place names, they're regions in what we now call Turkey. You can see that up on the screen. 
Uh, one of the cool things is some of these places are listed in Acts 2. On the day the Spirit was first poured out, on the day when 3,000 repented and were baptised, on that day there were Jews from Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia. Peter gave his first sermon that day. And now he's writing to Christians and maybe some of the people who first read this letter, they could remember being there that Pentecost. And they would have gone home after hearing the gospel and receiving the spirit and they would have begun telling people about Jesus. And so I reckon the churches who got this letter would have had a mix of Jewish and Gentile believers. And Peter packs all this into his first sentence. This bit of the letter where you should just write, I'm saying this to so-and-so, he can't help but pack in a, a whole bunch of deep gospel truths. He says these Christians are elect. They've been chosen for salvation by God. Now that might sound a bit odd. We're going to come back to that in a moment. He says they're exiles. Now we've just finished our time in Micah, so we know about exiles. That's the word. It's a bit like refugee. It's those who've either fled a country because of war or been captured and taken away because of war. So exiles are someone who lives somewhere, but it's not really their home. Some translations go for strangers or pilgrims. I actually think that would be a better translation, though there's poetry in elect exiles, isn't there? But I don't think these Christians are literally exiles or refugees. The point is, because of Jesus, this world is not their home. And don't worry if that also sounds strange. The nice thing is Peter expands on that in the next sentence, so we're going to come back to that. So what have we seen so far? The believers Peter's writing to have been chosen by God, and where they live is not really their home. Why is this the case? Why are Christians elect exiles? Why are believers in Jesus chosen pilgrims? Well, there's three reasons given in verse 2. The first is, if you believe in Jesus, it's because you've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, this cannot just mean that God knows the future. It can't mean God looks into the future and he sees those who, because of something deep within themselves, one day in the future would repent and believe, because that would empty the word elect or chosen of any meaning. It also wouldn't make sense of what we're about to read in verse 3. In verse 3 it says, God gives believers new birth. You can't birth yourself. No one can will themselves to have life. New birth only comes by God. It is God the Father who foreknows, who gives life, who chooses. So that's the first reason Christians are elect exiles. The second reason is believers in Jesus are marked out by the Spirit. What marks out Christians from the rest of the world, what makes believers, exiles, pilgrims, strangers in this world, is that we are sanctified. A big word, it just means set apart or holy. We are marked out as God's people because of the indwelling Holy Spirit. If you've got cattle, they've got a brand on them. Your brand, if you're following Jesus, the brand on you is that you have God's Spirit in you. So the first reason, the Father's foreknowledge, reason two, the Spirit's sanctification. 
Uh, the reason number three, Christians are exiles, are pilgrims in the world because we obey Jesus and Jesus cleanses his people from sin. The law of Moses said, if you contracted leprosy, when you got better, a priest would sprinkle blood on you seven times to mark out that you were once again clean and could rejoin the people of God. Well, this is what Jesus does for his people. His blood, his death for us means we can be part of God's people. And this makes Christians stand out as strangers and pilgrims. Instead of obeying the world, we obey Jesus. Instead of being found unclean, Jesus cleanses his people. Now, there is a lot just in these two verses. I haven't even gone into the triunity of God, but that's in these two, two verses, isn't it? The Father's foreknowledge, the Spirit making holy, the Son as Lord and his purifying blood. There is so much just in these two verses. Uh, These verses talk about what we receive when we're in Christ and the benefits that come from Jesus. But we're going to have to just keep moving on because what Peter says next expands on these two verses. So if it feels like we've hit a whole lot of stuff really fast, don't worry. Peter's got another seven verses expanding on this idea, helping us understand what God has done for his elect exiles, his chosen strangers. And what has God done? Well, God has shown us mercy. Mercy is not getting the punishment, the judgment we deserve. And the mercy God has shown is that although we deserve death, through Jesus' resurrection, he gives life, new life. And although we deserve to have no future, no optimism, because of Jesus, God gives us hope. Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, we went into the new birth earlier. This is something only God can do. You can't birth yourself. What Peter's also saying is that when you're in Christ, you get a whole new life, a new identity. Uh, Your identity is pretty closely tied up with your birth, your physical birth. The reason you look the way you do is pretty much because of how your mum and dad look. Uh, Many of our behaviours, the way we speak, the decisions we make about money and friendships... So much of that comes from our parents. Even if we reject our family of origin, often the way that we reject our family is in a way shaped by our family, by our birth. But in Christ we have a new birth, a new father, the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have a new life, a new birth. And this comes from God, and so we praise him. Now, this new birth, do you notice, is linked to Jesus' resurrection. Just as Jesus got new life, resurrection life through death, 
Well, when we're joined to Jesus by faith, his story becomes our story. His new life becomes our new life. But we don't have to wait until death for our new life to begin. It begins now. Right now, those in Christ are born again. Believers in Jesus, we receive our new birth through Jesus' resurrection. And this gives hope, doesn't it? True hope, living hope. Just as God the Father, through the Spirit, raised Jesus to life again, which gave him a living hope, well, the new birth that God gives his people, it gives us a new identity, a new future and a new hope. And we've got a living hope, as we heard in verse 2, because of Jesus' blood. We've been sprinkled clean from sin. And so instead of our future being death and judgment, in Christ, the present is new birth and the future is resurrection, life everlasting. And because of this, because in Christ we've got a new family and a new hope, it means Christians have a new home. So verse 4, the sentence continues, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Uh, In the Old Testament, the inheritance was the land, the land of Canaan. But here in 1 Peter, our inheritance in Christ is not a bit of dirt in the Middle East. That was shadow, this is reality. That was promise, this is fulfilment. That was an earthly inheritance, but it pointed to a heavenly, a spiritual inheritance. And because it's spiritual, it's not going to suffer the fate of the earthly one. We've just finished our time in Micah. In Micah's day, the inheritance was spoiled by sin. It was fading in its glory, about to perish as the Assyrians and Babylonians invaded. But Even if you didn't know any of that Old Testament background, it's the same with the inheritances we might be familiar with. I keep meeting people around Gibby who have inherited the family farm. The land they now live on has been in the family and passed down for a couple of generations. And because of that, the land has memories. It has a preciousness to it. But that inheritance will perish spoil and fade. The house that Grandpa built is no longer inhabitable. It's an uphill battle against the weeds. Often the soil has been degraded from poor management. But in Christ, if you've been born again through his resurrection, we have a great inheritance, a spiritual heavenly inheritance, because who's our father? God. God is our Father, which means his inheritance is ours. And you know what this means? It means for Christians, this world is not our home. That's what it means to be elect exiles. That's what it means to have a heavenly inheritance. This world is not our home. I reckon for lots of the people this letter first went to, I reckon for lots of them... They had always lived in Pontus or Galatia. They were locals. 
They were born in the same town they lived in now. Their parents and their great-great-great-great-grandparents had been born there. They were the real locals, but no longer. Because of Jesus, they were now strangers, pilgrims, visitors. Their inheritance isn't in Asia Minor, it's in heaven. We need to hear this too. We're in origin season, we're heading towards another Olympic Games. Brothers and sisters, we are not first and foremost Queenslanders or Australians. No matter where you were born or how many generations of your family have lived in this region, if you're a Christian, you are not a local. Right now, we are living in exile. We are pilgrims. The old word is sojourners. Look, as beautiful as this part of the world is, this is not our home. This is not our inheritance. We are not locals. We are strangers. Now, this is actually a great comfort. Hearing that might be a little bit unsettling. I think it's a great comfort because if you've always moved around and you don't feel like you've got roots anywhere, this is comforting. This world is not meant to feel like home. And even if you have lived here all your life and you think, oh, I am a local, but actually at the same time, this place is an unsettling place to live, isn't it? It's always changing. There's a new highway going in and everywhere you go, you remember the building that used to be there or the person who used to live there. It's actually deeply unsettling. The world is always changing around us. But the comforting truth is, the good news is, if you are in Christ, your hope, your identity, your joy is not and cannot be tied up to anywhere but our heavenly inheritance. Because this world is changing and will one day perish. But our heavenly home is protected and shielded by God, verse 5, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the time of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Uh, You might think your home is going to be here forever because it's got strong foundations and a steel frame, but concrete crumbles Steel rusts. You might think your money is safe in banks until the bank collapses. You might not trust banks, and so you hide cash under the mattress. And that might make you feel more secure. You can feel that money as you lie in bed at night until someone breaks in and steals it. But our heavenly inheritance, it's shielded by God. If God's guarding it, it's safe. And how does God guard the inheritance? He guards it through faith, through protecting our faith in the Lord Jesus. And what is God guarding us for? God is guarding his people until salvation is revealed, until Jesus comes and makes all things new and leads us into the inheritance, the new heavens and the new earth. Now, this is a big vision. Peter's just starting his letter and he is setting our sights on eternity, on heaven, on a hope that is secure in God, hope that is brought about by Jesus. And here you've got this big vision, but right now, 
Right now, things aren't so sweet. Verse 6, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Uh, Everything we have in Jesus should make us feel great joy. But does that mean if you're a Christian and you feel sad, does that mean that there's something wrong with you, that maybe you're not trusting in Jesus enough, that maybe you're not actually a Christian if sometimes or, or even often you feel sad? Should Christians always be smiling, always happy, all the time? No. God has not promised a pain-free life for his people. God has not promised you'll always be wealthy, always healthy, always happy. Christians will go through all sorts of difficulties, suffer all kinds of trials. And all kinds, guess what that means? It means all kinds. Later in 1 Peter, we'll find that some Christians in Turkey and some Christians now experience direct persecution, being attacked, being picked on, being unjustly treated because of Jesus. Right now in 2021, Christians around the world are arrested, disowned by family, not given work simply because they love Jesus and have been called according to his name. That is one kind of suffering and it's real and we should pray for our brothers and sisters suffering like that. But sometimes we think that unless I'm suffering in that way, then I'm not really going through trials. No, all kinds means all kinds. It means the grief of mourning, the loss of loved ones. It means the trials of sickness or losing a job or mental ill health, or relationships breaking apart, and you could keep listing the trials you have gone through. Until Jesus comes again, we'll suffer all sorts of trials. But because God is guarding us, the result of suffering will be showing that God can be trusted. Verse 7 These have come, these sufferings have come, these trials, so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. When the economy is shaky, some people start buying gold. Cash might end up being worth nothing, but most of the time gold retains its value. But gold is worth nothing in the face of eternity. You can't buy your way to the new birth no matter how much gold you've had. In the face of eternity, the only thing worth anything is God's promises. The only thing worth anything is faith in God. When Jesus returns and gathers his people home, The whole universe will see God's power. It will be revealed to all creation that God is able to save his people. His promises are sure. And that's going to pay off better than bullion. And that is why Christians love Jesus and have joy even when life is tough. Verse 8. 
Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Uh, Remember who wrote this letter? Peter, a bloke who had seen Jesus and loved Jesus. And when Peter thinks about the believers in Asia Minor, when he thinks about believers like you and me, he says, you also know what it means to love Jesus. Why do we love Jesus? Because of who he is and what he's done for us. The one who died to secure an inheritance for us. That is where our hope lies. When we lived in Brisbane, uh, there was a tremendous woman in our church I'll call her Mrs. Tiggy. Uh, Mrs. Tiggy was a widow, and by the time I got to know her, cancer had taken hold. Uh, When she was well enough to be at church, uh, she was such an encouragement. I remember her saying to me more than once, my body is riddled with cancer, or in pain, the medicine is poison, Please keep preaching imputed righteousness. Now, that's a big word. She was a very wise and intelligent woman. It just means in Christ we are right before God, not because of anything we've done, because of what Jesus has done. Keep preaching. In the words of 1 Peter, Mrs. Tiggy would say, I'm going through the great trial of my life, but keep reminding me of my hope and joy that God has given me new life and he is my father, that the spirit has set me apart as holy and that the son's sprinkled blood has purified me before God. That was her hope. Is it yours? It can be in the Lord Jesus. We live in a world that is desperate for hope, something to look forward to, something to bring joy the economy, the politics, the environment, those things will never bring hope. doesn't surprise me that the Lowy Institute's survey said that. If you're here and you're looking for hope, the only sure and certain hope is found in the secure foreknowledge of God, the holiness of the Spirit, as we follow Jesus who purifies us. Let's pray. Our Father God, we praise you. And we praise you for who you are and what you have done in the Lord Jesus and by the Holy Spirit. We praise you for the new birth you've given in Jesus, for the secure heavenly inheritance of your people. We praise you because these things are sure, not because of anything we do, but because of your power. Please help us to be people of hope. May we stand out in our world, especially when we're going through trials, because our hope is fixed in Jesus. Help us live as people whose inheritance is in heaven. Amen.